Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. Today what we're going to do for the message is I'm going to finish a short two-week series that we've been doing, which is called Powerhouse, A Church on Fire. And so we've been looking at the early church, that is the the, the church right after uh, Jesus uh, died rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, where we're looking at the early church through the book of Acts. And so last week, we did a bit of a highlight reel through the first nine chapters of the book of Acts. Once again, I want to encourage you to read Acts, 28 chapters. It doesn't take that long. I could whip out the stats about, you know, it takes about as long as that as it does to watch, you know, two episodes of Yellowstone or whatever you're into. But we won't, we won't go there and, and all feel bad about that. But 28 chapters, it's amazing. We talked about last week, about cultivating a passion for prayer. And so we, we saw all throughout these first uh, nine chapters of the book of Acts, this great thread of prayer. Just to, just to remind you, or maybe if you weren't here, um, as the 120 waited in the upper room, as Jesus instructed them to, what were they doing? They were praying. When they needed to replace an apostle because Judas was, you know, obviously no longer fit for the position, what did, what did they do? They, they, they prayed. When the Holy Spirit fell on these disciples in the upper room in Acts chapter 2, what were they doing? They were, they were praying. When they needed to add new leaders because the church had grown so much, what, what do we find them doing? We find them praying and seeking God for who that would be. What, what did they do when they were threatened by the religious leaders at the time to stop speaking the name of Jesus? We found that they prayed. And so last week we talked about that when it comes to uh, developing a passion for something, remember you don't usually go from zero to 100 straight away. In most things in life, we grow in passion. And so we want to continue to grow in the passion of prayer. We want to continue to do some things in our lives that, that continue to cultivate and build that passion of prayer. And so that was last week. That was, that, that was a quick recap. You're like, wow, if you can say all that in that amount of time, why can't you just preach that amount of time every week? I know you were thinking it. It's all right. <laughs> need to expand a little bit more, right? And so we're going to jump into Acts chapter 10. And uh, last week, like I said, we did nine chapters in about 25 minutes. This week, we're going to be mostly staying in Acts 10. And once again, we're going to find two key characters in this passage. We're going we're to find them praying. And so we're going to start off with this guy by the name of Cornelius. We'll read about him in a second, but here's a quick background just to get you all prepped. Um, he's, a, he's a Roman He's a centurion in the army, which means that he was well paid, that he was probably regarded, uh, regarded well in, or highly in society. But he was also one who feared God, the Bible says, who feared the God of the Jews. And this is important because up until this time, the early church was predominantly, if not 100% Jewish. And so there's this Roman guy who fears God. Now, this is, this is important because the word that Jesus spoke in Acts chapter 1 about his people being his witnesses in Jerusalem, that's to Jewish people, into Judea, that's also Jewish people, to Samaria, that's, that's sort of like a half Jewish mix. But now we're about to see this circle widening to go out to the ends of the earth. That's what Jesus said was going to happen. And so there's already been a touch of this in an earlier chapter when Philip baptizes an Ethiopian man, but we're about to see this spread 
continue, okay? So that's, that's, that's the setup. I've got you all prepped. Here we go. Acts chapter 10, verse 1 to 8. It says this. It'll be on the screen behind me if you don't have a Bible with you. It says, At Cicero, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your arms, that's, that's the giving of, um, of money and goods to the poor, uh, have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called his two servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Okay, so right, we've got God here. He has noticed Cornelius. He's like, okay, Cornelius, get ready because the way you have been following me has caught my attention. And so now I'm going to do something amazing through you. I'm going to give you this connection with, with me and with something new for your life. So there's character one, right, Cornelius. Now I'm about to speak, speak about character two. This guy's a guy called Peter. He's an apostle, which means that, and, and he's Jewish. He's been careful to follow all the Jewish rules about what's deemed clean or unclean, about what you could eat or who you were supposed to associate with. But God is about to overturn the clean and unclean distinctions and the dietary laws that the Jews had. So once again, we're we're dropping down into the next verse, Acts 10 verse 9. Once again, we find Peter praying, and this is what happens. The next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And so the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had, that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Okay, so this God set up is now complete, right? God's taken a Roman centurion who is praying And he's got him to send people to this guy called Peter, who is also praying. And God has laid this groundwork here for Peter through a vision that the way you have thought about who is in the kingdom of God and who is out of the kingdom of God is about to be radically shifted. 
And so this, in the next few verses of this chapter of Acts, there's a bit of a, a meet and greet between Peter and Cornelius. Peter's like, hey, guess what? God spoke to me. Cornelius is like, hey, guess what? God spoke to me. And here we are together, right? So that's the next sort of 14 verses. So just to skip through that for time. Then we're going to read. We're now in Acts 10, verse 34 to 48. So Peter opened his mouth. He's at Cornelius' house now. Cornelius has gathered people together to hear from this guy. So, So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. For the word that he sent to Israel preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth and the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Excuse me. For God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the to be the judge, sorry, of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So that, that's Peter's message, right? He's, he's preaching to them about who Christ is, about what he's done. Verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, that's the Jewish people, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. That's just a word that means non-Jewish people. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they asked him to, to, rem, to remain for some days. Wow, we see this, this amazing account. Can I encourage you, if you are familiar with the Bible and, um, and read it regularly, we can sometimes skip over these bits and go, oh, yeah, yeah, we know this part. We know what happens. But, but let, let's remember that Peter's come down to this place with these non-Jewish people. He has preached the word of God, and it says that the Holy Spirit has fallen on them just like what happened in the upper room back in Acts chapter 2. You see, there's this key phrase that said, the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. That, that little part, even on the Gentiles, we, 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 we sort of get a bit of a feel for what the Jewish believers thought, that surprise that, oh, he could be poured out here as well. You see, we need to understand that no matter your background, this gift and the empowering of the Holy Spirit is available for every single person. No matter your church tradition, the gift of the Holy Spirit is available for you. Jesus said it's better, Jesus said to his disciples while he was on earth, he said, it's better that I leave so that the Holy Spirit would come. That the Holy Spirit comes to fill us and to empower us. I remember being at a Planet Shakers youth conference in Sydney a fair few years ago, and I remember being in this room with a couple of hundred young people, and this session was specifically about the Holy Spirit. 
it was like a, you know, at conferences they call them electives or breakouts or whatever the cool new term is now, streams, what, you know, whatever it is. So we're at this Holy Spirit one, right? And there's a bunch of young people, and I, I'd met some of them earlier with a, um, they are from the Seventh-day Adventist church. And so they'd been at this conference, um, they, 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 they were open, that they, they were ready, but anyway, traditionally, Seventh-day Adventists have, have been a little bit open to the gifts of the Spirit, but hadn't really seen much function of them before. And so I remember during the prayer time, the speaker sort of recognized this tension in the room. He recognized in some people, they're like, Wang, and I don't know, I don't know about this stuff. Maybe that's you here this morning as I'm speaking about the Holy Spirit. You're like, yeah, I, I, I know, but I don't know about this speaking tongue stuff, or I don't know about this being empowered by the Holy Spirit thing. But anyway, in this, in this time, this speaker, he just said, you know what we're going to do? He said, we're going to pray. We're just simply going to ask God if he would fill us with his Holy Spirit. He said something like, remember, every good gift comes from God, and God is for us and not against us. And so all we're going to do is we're going to earnestly pray for the Holy Spirit to fill our lives. Then let's just see what happens. Let's just see what, come, what comes of it? And so in this atmosphere of desire and expectation, I remember it quite vividly, Holy Spirit started to pour out on young people's lives. There were, there were, people, there were people praying. There were people praising God. There were people uh, speaking in, in tongues, which is praying in other language you haven't learned. Like currently I'm trying to learn Italian with that Duolingo. Lingo. Has anyone seen that app before? And I'm terrible. I've actually been bombarded with notifications saying, you haven't, you haven't opened me in the past two weeks, right? But, but speaking in tongues is not, is not learning a new language. It's a heavenly language that is gifted to us from the Holy Spirit to be able to pray and to praise and to, and, and, and to, um, to, to, to lift up God. It's for prayer. It's for evangelism. And so, so, so anyway, in this atmosphere of desire and expectation, the Holy Spirit fell. I, I remember it vividly. And this is what happened to the believers there that we're speaking about that were listening to Peter. It said that they, was, they spoke in other tongues and they were extolling God. That word extol uh, means to, to, to deem or declare great, to esteem highly, to, to celebrate. God had given them a gift that would help to communicate in prayer the praises of God. And you might be here, and like I said, you might be like, mm, I'm not so sure um, about this. You know, do I, do I have this Holy Spirit or not? Like, when did I... Receive the Holy Spirit, like how, how does this all work? Let me bring a little bit of clarity for you. For every follower of Jesus, this happens at the moment that someone generally, uh, sorry, genuinely makes a decision to begin following Jesus. That is, they acknowledge that they are a sinner in need of a savior. They put their faith and their trust and their hope in Jesus Christ to lead them in this life and to save them into the next life. In fact, the Holy Spirit is active and essential in our process of salvation. Jesus said it like this in John 15, uh, 16, verse 8. It says, And when he comes, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. You know, it's the Holy Spirit that convicts a person of their need for God. Not only that, it's the Holy Spirit who does the work of salvation in the human heart. You see, maybe already this morning, you might not know it, 
but maybe you aren't a follower of Christ, but the Holy Spirit's actually been drawing you. You've been thinking, oh, maybe, maybe this church stuff is real. Maybe this just isn't like a, you know, a crutch that people just use to get through life. Maybe there's life and, and peace and power. You know, this week I was uh, just in the office here. It was about 2.30 on Monday afternoon. Uh, this guy in a ute sort of, you know, comes in the driveway quite quickly. And if you're here midweek, we don't have the elevation flag in front of that big bump. So he did the classic, someone who arrives midweek and boom, like run, has right, runs up that, um, the parking bit as you come in and go left. I'm like, oh, hang on, here we go. And so anyway, this guy pulls in and I just sort of come out the front. He gets out of the car and he's like, oh, mate, um, hey, guy, I got a random question for you. I'm like, yeah, sure. He's like, uh, do you guys give out Bibles here? I'm like, we're a church. It's not a very random question. Yeah, of course we do. And so anyway, this guy comes in. Um, I said to him, have you ever read the Bible before? He's like, no. I said, have you ever been to church before? He's like, no. He's like, but I was just putting a pool in around the corner and something just drew me to come in. Just something just drew me to come in and, and, and to get a Bible. And so I gave him a Bible. We, we, um, we have the short book that we give people that, that helps people on a journey. It's called Following Jesus. Yep, that's what it's called. It's called Following Jesus. We gave that to him. I uh, prayed for him, invited him to church. Uh, today, I don't think he's here. Otherwise, that would be awkward. I only tell stories when people aren't here. Um, but but you, know, you know what that was? That was the Holy Spirit drawing him drawing him. Ephesians 2.1 says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. Then Ephesians 2.6, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit is all a part of our of bringing us to salvation. You know, Christianity is not about making uh, bad people good. It's about bringing dead people back to life. Because the Bible says that we were dead in our sins apart from Christ. We are dead spiritually in our sins, but because of Jesus, we are made alive in Christ. What takes place when we become a Christian is not a nice, tame, polite, uh, religious decision. It's a powerful resurrection. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit gives birth to our spiritual life in us at conversion. Then he indwells in us. He takes up residence in our lives. And so the Holy Spirit is there as we make that decision. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. But what we see again with the 120 in the upper room that we spoke about last week in Acts chapter 1 and 2, and once again in what we just read in Cornelius's home, is that there are additional experiences that occur either simultaneously with salvation or after salvation where the power and the gift of the Holy Spirit are poured out in believers' lives. These times and filling of the Holy Spirit should be something that we continually desire. And so just like in the passage that we read, God led Peter into the next stage through a vision or dream. The next stage was the Holy Spirit being poured out on non-Jewish people. I believe that for some here today, God wants to lead you into a new stage of your walk with Him. A new stage that embraces and earnestly desires the filling and the fire of the Holy Spirit. Maybe like Peter, you need to leave some of your past ways of thinking behind, maybe previous church traditions. You know, you know maybe you're thinking, ah, oh, you know, these, these Pentecostals, those ones that speak in tongues, those, those widows, we don't, we don't get caught up in all that hype. But, but maybe the leading of God is to lead you out of some things 
and into a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that traditional church doesn't do it the right way or anything like that. What I am saying is that sometimes we need to leave some things of the past behind to step into the future that God has called them to it. Maybe, and I'll just... um, say this for a second, maybe you've always viewed the world in a very logical, analytical way. You know, if I can't understand it, if it doesn't make sense to me, I don't don't think it's true. Maybe you're like a, you know, mate, I'm just a a rubber hit the road type of guy. You know, or, or maybe you're like a numbers person. Like, if it doesn't add up, if I can't get it on the Excel spreadsheet to work, to work properly, maybe you're an accountant. You know, if I can't get it to work properly, then, you know, then, then, then it's not for me. But can I just speak into that for a second? Because you see, God is not opposed to, to logic or numbers or having a methodical approach to anything. In fact, the key question to bring faith to is this, is, is there a God? That's, that's, that's the key question to begin with. Because the Bible starts with Genesis 1.1. Sorry, this is not on the screen because I just thought of it. It starts in Genesis 1.1, right? It starts with, and God created the heavens and the earth. So when we bring faith to that and we say, okay, and, and I'm not even, not even talking about how or, or what or whatever. I'm just asking the question, is there a creator? Were we created by God? If the answer is yes, then everything in the Bible is a very simple, logical, you know, progression from there. Is there a God? Yes. Well, of course he could have a spirit. And of course he could fill us. Is there a God? Yes. Then of course he could have a son who came to earth and was sinless and crucified from the cross and and rose him from the dead. Of course. Is there a God? Yes. Then of course we can believe for miracles and healings and signs and wonders. Of course. Is is there a God? Yes. Well, of course we can believe for the church to grow and and for lives to be transformed and marriages to be restored and, and children that have walked away from him to come back. Of course there is. There's only one thing we need to bring faith to is that is there a God and did he create? us? If the answer is yes, then everything else, the rest is completely and and, and utterly logical. We, we don't have to have it all figured out. So as we wrap up, here's my two questions for you. Two questions. Number one is this, is what ingrained thinking do you need God to shift in your life? As I said, Peter's was religion. Yours may be that or it could be something different. Maybe you haven't felt good enough. Maybe, maybe, maybe you don't think that you could ever approach God. You know, I was talking to an older lady after the service a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, she was back at church after, after many years. We served communion that Sunday. And then she just made this comment to me afterwards. She's like, oh, just saying I didn't take communion because I don't, I don't think I'm worthy. Um, I, I said to her, guess what? None of us are. None of us are. That is the power of communion, that Jesus' blood was shed for us, that his body was broken for us. We take communion because we know we are not good enough, but we know that when we place our trust and our faith in Christ, that we take on his righteousness. Uh, Pastor and author Timothy Keller says it like this. I've used this quote many times, and we'll continue to use it many times forward. He says this, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hoped. So than we ever dared hope. Yeah. Amazing. Maybe there's some ingrained thinking that you need God to shift. You know, for um, for my life, one of the 
Uh, I've never shared this before. One of the most uh, amazing uh, just encounters with Jesus um, I ever had was back in uh, 2020. It was about March because it, it was the height of COVID. And um, it was the time when, when New York was just, was just crazy. And so I remember it was a Sunday night. I was watching uh, this church online that was in New York. And they did, I'm sure we sort of all saw it, but this church was the first one to do it. They did the whole, um, you know, we're going to worship together but we're all in, all in separate rooms, right? Because, you know, they were quite, you know, good technologically and worship-wise, blah, 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 all that sort of stuff. So I remember watching this online service and, you know, New York at that time was just, you know, decimated and all that, all that sort of thing. Like everything was shut. Everyone was in apartments. I remember watching this and I can't remember what the guy preached, but it was more so the worship. I just remember thinking, wow, like nothing can stop the church of God. Like, nothing can stop the church of God. Here across it, everything's in, in lockdown, but, but still there's, like, you know, power of the internet. We're connected. We're, we're praising it. And, I, and I'm watching this thing from the other side of the country at about, you know, 11.30 p.m. On a, on a Sunday night. And so I, had, I was watching this. And then as the service finished, um, closed the laptop down, I just really felt like God's spirit on me. And I felt like, um, I asked my wife, I, I'm pretty, like, practical person like I'm not that like, I don't mean I'm good at practical things I mean like just like straight because she's looking at me like what are you trying to say like just just sort of like straight down the line like I'm, I'm I'm not a mystic right and so anyway I remember sitting there and I could feel the presence of God and, and I felt like this voice say to me I want you to go out of the lounge room where you were sit in your outdoor area um, bring like two chairs together and sit at one because I, I want to meet with you and I felt like this was the voice of Christ. And I'm like, okay. And, you know, you're by yourself, so it doesn't matter. But still in your head, you're like, no, this is dumb. No, this is not me. No, this is just because you watched a really good worship. Like, this is, you, know, you know what I mean? Like, you're going through it all, but I'm like, okay, no, no, I'll do this. And so I went out into our little courtyard area, felt silly, but sat there, arms out. And I, I tell you what, I encountered Christ probably more intimately than I ever have in my entire life in an empty chair across from me. But what did God have to do in my life? He had to break out of some uh, tradition, some religious, some thinking, some, you know, God, God, God wouldn't, wouldn't move like that. Like, I'm all for, like, I, I love big. Like, let's get in a conference. Like, let's get the sound turned up. Let's get my hands up. Let's get the mover lights happening. And come on, God. Like, like, um, but like in this, just in our like little courtyard thing, experience Christ like never before. So in you, what ingrained thinking do you need God to shift? Do you need God to shift? Acts chapter 2, maybe Lisa can come and join me on the keys. She got to sit down for five minutes so she can come, <laughs> come back up now. Uh, Acts chapter 10, this is in that little part that I skipped over before, but I want to bring this to you, verse 24 and 27. It says, On the following day they entered Cicero, uh, Cornelius was expecting them, this is when Peter turns up, and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathering. Number two question is this. First one is, what ingrained thinking do you need God to shift? Number two is this, is what are you expecting? You see, Cornelius 
was expecting them. He had a vision from God. He'd sent men to go and find this guy called Peter. So he was ready and waiting. The text said that, that Peter, sorry, that Cornelius had already gathered his relatives and close friends. He didn't wait for Peter to turn up, then send out the invitations. Hey, look, I got Peter coming. Peter's here. So, so why don't you come down? No, no. In expectation, he's like, I've had a vision from God. I've sent people. I, I've done what God's asked me. Come to my house. Come over. They're, they're, God must be doing something. There's an, there's an expectation there in Cornelius's heart. You know, we're, as, as we approach these times of prayer and worship as the Word is preached like right now. What's your expectation? What's going on in your heart and in your head? We're, we're about to sing and worship God again. You know, this could be, just, just think of this for a second, this could be the most transforming worship encounter you have ever had before in your life. It could be. Why not? Why would we not expect that every time? Remember, if God created the world, if he's God and created me, then why would he not want to pour out his spirit right now? We're, we're, we're going to sing a song called Fresh Wind. It speaks of spirits filling and power. But, but why could this not be the most intimate, transformative worship time you've ever had? You've ever had, sorry. You see, Cornelius gets so pumped and excited that Peter's there, that he even bows down to worship Peter. And Peter's like, get up, get up, get up. I'm just a, I'm just a man like you. You know, and, and to read that, especially maybe if you've been around church for a while, it's pretty easy to think, ah, yeah, old Cornelius. Still had a way to go. He didn't understand that we only worship God and we don't worship people. True. But here's my, here's my challenge for you. You may know that, and maybe you might have your stuff more together in terms of understanding the things of God and, and key doctrines than Cornelius had. But what's your expectation level? Because I tell you what, not that this is a fight between great theology and expectation because they, they go hand in hand together. But I don't know about you, but, but I'd take being wrong about a few things, but have a hunger for God and a hunger for Him to move over knowing all the right principles, being able to recite the Nicene Creed, but then having, then being empty and having no expectation of God to move. Like I said, I'm not pitting good theology against expectation. I'm a theology nerd. Let's go. Let's, let's talk about it. Happy to go there. But it's not an either or. Let's get understanding about God, but, but as well, let's seek Him, His presence. Let's go after the feeling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so, this morning, the band's going to come. And as they do, we, we're going to pray. And then we're going to worship God again. And this first section, when we, when we pray, I'm going to ask the question, have you given your life to Christ before? Have you placed your trust? Have you placed your faith in Jesus? Because at the moment, we're going to say a prayer all together. And if you'd like to be a person that says, you know what? I'm making a decision this morning to put my trust and my hope in God. Then we're going to get you to raise, raise your hand as a sign of surrender to God and a light in the moment sign for you. So if we could have heads bowed and eyes closed across this place. Come on, if you're here and you've never said,